Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Insomnia Project. Sit back, relax, and listen as we have a calm conversation about mundane things. And hopefully you find them mundane because I'm finding a lot of people telling me they find the topics interesting. And if you do, just go with it and let the topic sort of relax you at the very least. Uh, You know, insomnia is something that I often sadly connect with. So I've been there with you. But during this podcast, we're just going to have calm conversation with friends. And I'm so happy to have this guest on my podcast. Welcome Miriam Kenley to the Insomnia Project. Hi, thanks for having me. Miriam, so I know you because my good friends have this podcast called We Like Theme Parks, and I've had them on the show, and you're their West Coast correspondent, and I'm so happy to have you on the Insomnia Project. Um, Tell me about We Like Theme Parks. Okay, We Like Theme Parks is a podcast about theme parks, (laughs) so... The three of us just really love um, Disney and Universal and anything that goes along with that. So we started the podcast to kind of just have fun with that topic. So our podcast is really more of a humor and less more about information. So it's just a nice little escape we find. And um, so you're a Disney file, right? Disneyophile, I guess you would say. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Disney and Harry <laughs> Potter are like my wheelhouse. Oh. Okay, so I love Harry Potter. Which are your favorite three books? Because it's so hard to say what's your favorite book, I find. Oh, yeah. But what are your favorite uh, Harry Potter books? I'll, I'll let you get three of them out. Okay. I think my favorite three are The Prisoner of Azkaban, the third book, The yes. Goblet of Fire, the fourth book, and yeah. um, I think my actually my first favorite, my real, real favorite is the sixth book, the um, – why am I blanking on the title? Is is that the is that the second last book? Yes. And it yes, is... that's my. So mine is one, one five, and I, th- I guess six or seven. Like uh, it's hard. It's a really toss up between six and seven for mm-hmm. me because there's moments in seven that just are incredible. Or, or the last book. Uh, no worries about the title of the book. I'm sure our listeners who are big fans are probably like jumping up and down saying know, it. Exactly. But we'll, we'll get to that. And you since it's are, my actual favorite, I don't know why I'm blanking on the title. It's so funny. 
sometimes when you love something so much, it just it's a part of you and it escapes you and it always comes back. Mm -hmm. uh, you are in you live in one of my favorite states in the U.S. Now, I'm a huge I love the U.S. I love Americans. I'm married to an American. Um, I love our American fans. And I love Arizona. Really? Tell me. Yeah, I do. I went to Tucson uh, when I was uh, in my 20s. And just it's just so unique. It's its own place. The desert feels different than other deserts I've been to. The, the saguaro cactuses or cacti mm -hmm. are so majestic. They were in bloom when I was there. Um, and I prefer a dry heat to a humid heat like in Florida. So I'll oh, take the absolutely. dry heat. Yeah. Any day. Um, tell me about your Arizona. My Arizona. So I live in Phoenix, right in the middle of downtown, which I love because we are surrounded by that desert land landscape, but it's still very urban and there's tons of really wonderful local restaurants around me. And we actually do have a saguaro in our front yard, which I love. And um, it, is it really tall? It's really tall. And I think a lot of people think that's maybe like a caricature of Phoenix, but we really do have them right in the city, which I love. And um, we have the most beautiful winters. The summer I can kind of do without. I, do, I don't do that well in the extreme heat, but it's not enough to deter me and make me want to move from the state. <laughs> so that's good. And yeah, it just can I ask you a silly question Absolutely. as someone who doesn't live in the desert? But when you said you love the winters in uh, Arizona, do you decorate your saguaro for Christmas? You know, we do. We put Christmas lights on it and tip sometimes a Santa hat on top. <laughs> so that's so great because living in Canada, we have a lot of evergreens. And of course, with the evergreens in front of most of our homes, we'll get Christmas lights or festive lights, right? So I was like, you have the saguaro cactus. Do you decorate it? And I know it's a silly question, but it's like, I, I, it just came to mind. So that's a very fascinating to me. Absolutely. I think that's another thing like, oh, that can't be real. They don't decorate those for Christmas. And we absolutely do. That's another example, Miriam. I was telling you that sometimes I get excited about topics on the show and I need to pull back. So <laughs> I think we'll, I think we'll jump away from saguaros before I get really, <laughs> really excited. Invested. But you, you, you had mentioned this lake that you really enjoy in Arizona. I don't want to say the name because I know I'll make a mess of it. It's called Lake Powell and it's um, on the Arizona-Utah border. And the best way I can describe this lake is um, have, if you've seen pictures of the Grand Canyon or if you've been to the Grand Canyon, it looks very much like the Grand Canyon, but full of water. So this lake isn't like your typical just round big lake. It sort of is in a river shape and oh, wow. it has more coastline than the entire West Coast because it is very snake-like and meandering through many canyons. So it actually has a ton of shoreline. Um, of and course, what, that's around the entire lake, not just like one shore, but... Oh, of course. Right. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. But it has because of how it meanders and, and sort of side, side winds itself around it. It stands to reason that it would have a large coastline. Yeah. What do you like to do at that lake? Oh, my gosh. So um, when I listened to your episode with Chris Bond about 
um, cottaging. It sounds very much like houseboating on Lake Powell. So what we like to do is every summer, me and my whole family, so it's usually around 20 people, we have two houseboats and we take them out on the lake and we pick a beach and we just set up camp there for the week. And we do a lot of wakeboarding and um, a lot of a, a lot of the times in the afternoon, we like to take out a big raft and about 10 of us will just have cocktails in the afternoon out on the water. And it's just my favorite time of the year. We've been going since I was born. Uh, my parents oh, wow. were going before that, but my first trip up there, I was three months old. So it's like, feels like it's part of my DNA at this point to go to Lake Powell every summer. So you were born and raised in Arizona. I was born here and raised in Denver. So Oh, okay. Um, but I have a I've, special place. I have a special place in my heart for Denver as well. Oh gosh. Denver is just the best city. It's so fun. I, I have a dear friend, Michelle Miracle, who will be on this podcast this season. She's from Denver, and she, whenever she says Denver, she says Denver, as, oh. as though it's spelled with an I. At least that's what I hear, and I always tease her about it. And she's like, I do not say Denver. She's that's kind like, of you like, can a- there's, um, there's a city here in Arizona called Tempe, and a yes. lot of people who don't live here call it Tempe. Like, it's just like a different cadence than if you live here. It's, we always make fun of those people, too. You know, just give them a little a little razz about it. <laughs> I love those linguistic variants on places like Toronto, where I'm from. The locals will call it Toronto. So you'll always know when someone's not from here by their overpronunciation of the second T or mm-hmm. their actual pronunciation, the, their correct pronunciation, I should say, of the second T letter t in the name right yeah i would totally say toronto (laughs) like regina in saskatchewan if you look at the word it really is regina like the queen named after the queen latin for queen Mm -hmm. but they pronounce it regina so anyone who hasn't been there or heard that pronunciation they're going to pronounce it most likely regina which is something that causes a lot of chuckles i'm sure in saskatchewan (laughs) just marks you out as a tourist right away (laughs) Uh, most definitely, most definitely. Uh, Miriam, so taking a little um, walk from uh, Arizona, I'd like to dive into cross-stitching and embroidery. Oh, yes. One of my favorite this, topics. Tell me how you got into that. So when I was very young, it was actually a Lake Powell trip, believe it or not. Um, I was... All, all roads lead to Lake Powell. <laughs> they do. So I have both of my mom's sisters, um, my aunts, are very good at cross-stitch and embroidery. And so they would always bring their projects up with them to the lake because, you know, it's a very remote place. So at night, you kind of have to find things to occupy your time that don't include like turning on the TV or whatever. So they would bring books and cross-stitch and puzzles and things like that. And my sister was like, very active and wanting to run around all the time. And I'm much more like a, I always call it like from wet, hot American summer, like an indoor kid. Sure. <laughs> I just like to be inside and I love puzzles and things like that. And I was always fascinated with um, whenever my aunts would pull out their cross stitch or their embroidery, I'd be like over their shoulder watching what they were doing. And so one year they finally brought one up with them that was blank and kind of were like, hey, if you want to learn, we can teach you right now. So that's how I got into it. My aunts just sat me down at like Powell and were like, we're going to teach you how to cross stitch so you can like stop being a parrot while we're doing this and be part of it. So 
That's how I started learning. What is the difference between cross-stitch and embroidery? So cross-stitch, you're only making cross-stitches. So it's basically an X on the fabric, and you work with a fabric called Ada or Ida. I've never really known about that pronunciation. I always always thought it was linen. So linen, that's really what you're doing embroidery on. Oh, I see. Okay. So and 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 those stitches aren't X's or crosses. They can be lines. Is that correct? It can be any. There's so many variations with embroidery. Embroidery is much more like of a freestyle um, form of sewing or embellishment. And cross stitch is typically just crosses. And sometimes you'll do maybe like a back stitch to outline something. But you're really making your picture or your main focus out of these crossed stitches. It sounds to me like cross stitch can be a little bit more technical, Mm -hmm. where embroidery can be a little bit more free flowing and allow for the embroiderer to take their own reign to the project. Yeah. So, um, and with cross stitch, you're working with that fabric, the Ada. um, And what that is, is it's sort of a, it's a stiff fabric that has many holes in it. And the holes are what guides where your X's go. So they make like a little grid on this fabric and you make these X's in a little square on each. So there's four holes that you'll connect your X to, if that makes sense. And with um, embroidery, you're working with linen or I've gotten into starting to embellish clothing so you can really embroider on any fabric you want most of us learn on linen because it's very thin and easy to work with but right now like i've been embroidering denim jackets what have you been embroidering on these jackets um so i love star wars and um lately i've been watching the movies on repeat i'm like okay let's take a deep dive into what this space revolution looks like you know sure (laughs) sure something i really love and so I've been embroidered, like right now I'm working on a, like an overall denim dress and it just says on the front pocket, may the force be with you in like oh. a funny nineties font that I found. <laughs> so I love that. Yeah. So just all sorts of like nerdy. Um, I made a denim jacket that says the scavenger on the back for Ray from the new sequel movies and has her lightsaber and a resistance symbol on the front. So just silly things like that. So I don't know if you know this about me, Miriam, but I'm a Jedi master. Really? I'm an, I'm an official Jedi master. So I became a, um, a pastor with the Universal Life Church, which is an online church where you can get your documentation that allows you to marry people. Okay. So it's not affiliated with any religious. It is and it isn't. It can be whatever religion you want. I'm not here to espouse the virtues of Universal Life Church, but it's one of those online services where you can type your name in and you'll get this sort of accreditation, which will allow you to marry people in certain locations. Certain states allow it and certain ones don't Mm -hmm. because I was marrying uh, friends. And so that was the easiest way, way for me to do so. And you can click on different sort of accreditations. And one of them was Jedi Master. Oh, my gosh. And so I was like, I put my name in that. I have a certificate. And so (laughs) when I when I marry people, I can officially say, may the force be with you during the ceremony. I love that so much. (laughs) Yeah. So I encourage you to check that out if it's something that interests you. 
I absolutely will. That'll be so uh, fun. <laughs> I can think of several people that I would love to introduce Star Wars into their wedding, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And if like, you know, sometimes in a pinch, if you need to marry someone, you'll have the ability to do so. I mean, I can't think of a better emergency function than that, you know? You never know when you're at a theme park and you might need to emergency marry someone, especially in the Star Wars area of, is it Disney now that they have the Star Wars? Yeah, it's in, yeah, it's in Hollywood Studios in Florida and then in Disneyland in California. And that would be the most magical wedding ever. I would really enjoy that. So I hope I should probably get this Jedi Master thing going in the hopes that I could do that one day. Well, you know, if you did do that, you got your Jedi Master and your ability to marry someone. And I think California is one of those states where you can use that. You can mention on your podcast, We Like Theme Parks, that that's a service that you'll gladly provide. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm starting a whole business for you, Miriam. I love this. I really I'm going to hop on right after we get done recording and make this happen. Love you it. are also an accomplished hairstylist hairdresser, designer, colorist, you name it, when it comes to hair, you can do it? I can, yeah. Um, So I typically mostly do color. Cutting never really stuck for me. It's um, it's so permanent. Like color, you can kind of, anything that goes wrong, you can fix. And that's what I really love. Um, But with hair cutting, you basically have to let it grow out if a mistake is made. So that always, I, I shied away from it early in my career. And stuck mostly to color because it was sort of my comfort zone. So that's let's talk. Let's talk color. What is some advice you would give to the person listening who is home coloring their hair? Oh my, that it's so hard right now because a lot of people are having to do that, right? With yes, um, of course, with quarantine and all that. So I typically don't recommend at-home hair color only because. We don't know what's happening in box colors. A lot of the time it's very heavy with ammonia, which right. is very bad for your hair. Um, and a lot of people think, oh, well, I'll, I'll try this, um, you know, like a natural color, like a, what what is it that they use sometimes? There's, there's a few natural colors that you can use, but those, when you come back to a regular hairdresser, are really harsh on your hair to get out. So I don't right, recommend okay. that either. Um, my best advice is to just hopefully wait it out and see your hairdresser because it's also very hard to apply at home and they just haven't really caught up with like what is available for people to buy to try at home. I'm hoping that technology or, you know, whatever we're using in the salon starts to catch up with the market outside of the salon because I do think that that option should be available for people. So my best advice You could also contact your hairdresser and what I've been doing for a lot of my clients that I can't see right now is putting together a kit of their actual color and dropping it off at their house. So So that's a good thing to know your mm -hmm. actual color or the name of the color. I'm sure you know the numbers that correspond to certain colors like ash blonde, chestnut brown. Uh, You probably know the the colors based on the um, Schwarzkopf or whatever you're using in that world. So they, most of them have a number and a couple letters attached to it. Um, so what I, I usually do is I'll write out a list of instructions and 
everything that they'll need and make like a little kit with like brushes and bowls and things like that. And hopefully they have someone in their house that can apply it for them. But that seems to have been helping a lot of my clients who maybe have great coverage that they typically address every few weeks or what have you. So I think that's the best thing to do is maybe contact your stylist and see if they offer an at-home kit that they'll drop off. What's the best piece of advice for someone who's going to a colorist to prepare themselves or prepare their hair for someone like yourself? What's the best thing that they can do before they see you? The best thing I can offer is always bring pictures because that's typically where the breakdown happens between stylists and clients and why maybe you wouldn't like your hair when you're leaving the salon. It's very hard to, you know, what if you're coming in and you say you want to change your hair from a brunette to a red, red can mean so many different things to different people. It could be a warm red. It could be a cool red. It could be maybe just mostly brunette with a slight warmth to it that you're considering red that I wouldn't consider red. So things like that can get lost in translation. So I always suggest to bring in pictures to talk specifically about what you like about a certain person's hair or what you want your hair to look like visually. Is it true that a colorist prefer if the person doesn't come in with freshly washed hair? So that... um, Or is that just a myth that that has been around? It's slightly a myth, but slightly true. So where that is really helpful is in bleach services. So like if you are trying to be blonde, we typically like hair to be maybe unwashed for a couple days um, because the oils in your hair will help protect it as we lighten. But if you're coming in for like regular gray coverage, it's best to come in with clean hair. So then there's no barrier between the color and your gray because gray can be very resistant to color. I see. And I understand if I'm correct, red hair is difficult to color if you don't know what you're doing. So red hair is so interesting. It's almost like um, since they're are so few redheads out there because it's a recessive gene um, that it's almost like it protects itself. So with red hair, you can typically go lighter. So it will take to bleach and going lighter. But if a redhead, a natural redhead comes in and wants to be brunette, it's very hard to color their hair. It almost doesn't take the color at all. So I've definitely been in that position where I'm like, I don't know what happened. You wash it out and it looks exactly the same as if we had not put anything on it. It's almost like you have to do multiple coloring of the red to get it. You can't just go from red and hop to a really dark color. You have to stage it. Is that fair to say or am I? um, Typically what happens is you'll have to, it's so counterintuitive, but you'll have to lighten that red hair and then put the dark color over that because the red just will not cover So you're stripping the pigment from the red Mm -hmm. so that it can then absorb a darker non-red hue. Exactly. Wow. Um, What's your favorite color to put on someone's head? Okay. If you have one. I do. I I love to do what's called a bleach retouch. So think Marilyn Monroe like platinum blondes because they're very technical and hard to pull off but when you do it feels like such a victory so that's currently what my hair looks like I did this process to my own hair in January 
And so now I'm attracting a lot of people who want that. I, I honestly think and anytime my hair is a certain color, I attract more of that color into my chair, which is very fun. But it's very it's very hard because you have to apply bleach straight to the scalp, which can be dangerous. Um, of course, I'm a, I've been doing it for 12 years now, so I know what to do to not make it dangerous. But if you go to a hairstylist that doesn't know what they're doing, it can be very scary. Um, and then it's also possible to break hair that way, which luckily I haven't had any experience doing that to a client either. But um, so what it is, is you'll apply bleach throughout the hair to make it lighter. And then it's sort of a series of toning processes to make it as blonde as possible. And I love that because when it turns out, it's spectacular. Oh, wow. So you might be wondering why I have a love for this topic of coloring and hair. I grew up in salons because my mother was a hairstylist. Amazing. Yeah. So have you ever done this? And maybe you can explain what this is because I've seen this all my life. They put a rubber skull cap on a person's head that has lots of little holes in it. And then they take a crochet hook and pull some hair out of the rubber skull cap for lack of a better word <laughs> and then they color only the hairs that come out do you know what i'm talking about or is it a pro is it something that's no longer in use and i just know it from 30 years ago i do know what you're talking about okay. <laughs> I anyone do. listening it's probably like what is he talking about i know about? it's such a i would suggest everyone go look that up because it is fascinating to watch for sure so we never learned that one in beauty school i do think that movie that was um an 80s technique. Sure, um, I'm sure And it was. so what that is accomplishing is you're either highlighting that hair that is now pulled out of the cap. So you're either applying a lightener to make it lighter or you're applying that as a low light. So you're making those pieces darker and then the rest right. of your hair would be lighter. So that's what's going on with that process. Um, now we typically either hand paint those highlights or lowlights so all the hair will be out and you'll just see like pieces of lightener within the hair so we can actually see it visually where that is going up because the problem with that cap is you really can't tell where you're putting any of those right. highlights it's kind of a so guessing game is the new process where you're getting that aluminum foil putting it underneath the hair and brushing the color or bleach on the hair or is yes, that so is that okay that can be done. So you use foils and the foil really conducts heat. So that is done when you want the hair to be very, very light and maybe go all the way to your root. And but a lot of the time, girl, like women these days want something that's really lived in or easier to take care of. So we do a process called balayage. And that is just a French um, technique for painting the lightener onto the hair. It's a hand painting thing. So that will typically put color just in the ends of your hair. So as it grows out, you don't have to maintain it as often. Wow. This has been a fascinating journey into hair color. Miriam, thank you so much. We've unfortunately come to the end of this episode, but I would love to have you back on to talk about hairdressing because it's a topic I haven't covered and I have some knowledge in because of my background, my mom being a hairdresser and me growing up in in salons. Maybe we can do a French braid episode. Oh, yes. And talk I love about that. Braiding. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely do that. Can we mention your aunt's names who brought you to the world of cross stitch and embroidery Absolutely. at Lake Powell? 
Yeah. So my parents thought I was, I'm actually named after my two aunts. My parents thought I was going to be a boy. And when I was born a girl, they're like, oh no, we don't have any girl names. So let's name her after your sisters. So my aunts are actually named Miriam and Anne. So those are my. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, a shout out to Miriam and Anne. Thank you for bringing Miriam on the show today to the world of cross-stitch and embroidery and to Lake Powell for that matter in Arizona. Love those ladies. You can catch Miriam on We Like Theme Parks podcast. Uh, I enjoy you immensely on that. I hope to be a guest back on that show because I think I had, I, I didn't have enough rapport with you, but the rapport I did have was my favorite. Don't tell Chris <laughs> Bond that. Never. We hope to have you back on soon too. We have so much fun when you guys come on. So great. Miriam, thank you for, for being on the show from Arizona. And I would like to say on behalf of everyone here, at the Insomnia Project. May the force be with you. Oh, also with you. Thank you. All right, <laughs> folks, thank you for listening to the Insomnia Project. Please let me know if there is a topic that you would like us to cover. And I hope that you have not gotten to the end of this episode. And if you have, may the force be with you. <laughs> <laughs>